What's up, Slow Drip listeners? This is your host, Zach. And Matt. And we have an exciting announcement. CisternaCoffeeCo.com is officially up and running. We are live. And everything is in stock. Uh, We've got our mugs ready to ship. Right in time for Christmas. Today's date is December the 7th. Um, So everything is ready for you to go. Um, Bolivian coffee's in stock. Thai coffee's in stock. Everything's freshly roasted. Coffee mugs, decals. Uh, This has been a long time coming. The site is beautiful and uh, ready to go. So... Wherever you're joining us on the Slow Drip journey, whether it's episode one or the end of the season, take a minute and go check out our new website and store and uh, pick up some coffee just in time for the holidays. Ruffin said that I can't say I'm stoked because that shows my age and apparently that's not hip with... I mean, no cap, it's straight bussing. That's where I'm at, FR. Please stop. Camp is going to be bussing, FR, no cap. I can't, I can't stand it. Welcome back to the Slow Drip Podcast. <laughs> I'm Matt, and with me is Zach. <laughs> He went right into it. <laughs> well, that's really, you know, here we are. Yep. Um, and we are back at Connection Church in Dublin, Georgia, uh, wrapping up kind of the final sprint of our Farm to Cup series. Is and this the last episode? There are two two more after this. Today. Are there really? There are. But this is the, we're in the downhill slide at this point. Um, and... This is one of those rare occasions where we can say we hope everybody had a lovely 4th of July um, this past <laughs> this weekend. This isn't going to come out on... This one actually will, because this one comes out tomorrow. Oh, yeah, so, you're right. So yeah, usually yeah, yeah, yeah. usually we're recording and stacking, uh, but this is one of the rare occasions when uh, it will be coming out relatively soon, and so we're not in a weird time warp. It's actually... Last yep. weekend was the 4th of July. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So hope everybody had... A safe and patriotic fourth. Um, Back it up, Terry. Still the best. <laughs> I, I, I I shared that with you, and it's put it like, in reverse, Terry. I know, I know. This video gets overplayed every year, and yet still, it's it's one of the best parts of the fourth. And someone else that you know I follow on social media reposted it too, and I wrote them the same thing and said, you know, the best part about that is that that was probably that dude's best day of his life. <laughs> Having all, that. and then he was internet famous mm-hmm. after that. So you know, so, when, someone when. made a meme. Uh, you remember the scene in Tropic Thunder? We but talked about Tropic Thunder. We right? have that was your first date with Iris, right? That was my first date with I'm my so wife. So sorry, Iris. Yeah. So yeah, but what she had no idea what she was getting into. Are you talking about the meme where it's like ER docs? Yeah, <laughs> so and Ben Stiller's hands are just, just like <laughs> blown apart, <laughs> meat sticks. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, we are dogs on the fourth of July. Yeah. Literally, it was at that point in the movie where I'm going, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> and Iris still married. It me. was that point because yeah. I feel like there were several other points in that movie you could have been like, oh, maybe. Well, that's this. that happens pretty early on in the show in the movie. So anyway, 
but yeah, it was, I was questioning my thought process with thinking that was a good movie to go see for a first date with my now wife. Mm. But let's talk about the coffee that we're, we're drinking this morning. Um, so we have methodical roasters and the coffee is a Colombian coffee, a Ventolera black honey processed. And as we looked up prior to the episode, black honey just means that it's a honey process that has been left longer in a fermentation vat so that it brings out more acidic notes and a little bit more brightness because ferment, the longer you allow the coffee cherry to ferment, the more acid develops prior to the final drying. Tasting notes are boozy and pomegranate and mango and I really feel like pomegranate is the most kind of fruit forward flavor in in the tasting. I think boozy is kind of that syrupy mouthfeel that you get. It's not a, it's not clean, it's complex, but it's not like crisp or clean. Right. So, I definitely get the the pomegranate, but methodical like I like this one, but I got methodical from trade one time. Mm-hmm. And I just I didn't like I don't even think I finished the bag. Like well, that's how much I disliked it. When I pulled this out to to make for this episode, you said you, a lot of methodical coffees are very, very floral. floral. Yeah. And I kind of like that. Um, but the more you, you try it, I really do pull pomegranate notes out more than anything else. Kind of a ruby, almost cranberry-like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of a mild sweetness. But not super citrusy. Well, I mean, pomegranate, mild sweetness. Right. Tart. Tart. That's a good That's a good description. It's a tart sweetness. Yep. So, well, I like it. Uh, it was a... Well, I mean, I'm glad you brought it because I had written methodical off. Right. I was like, like I went as far as making sure they weren't in my queue on trade. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I really disliked it. Maybe it was just that, that one. It might have been. Um... Well, Maybe this I one give them a give them a try again. This one came through, and uh, it was actually a special limited run, and it's like thirty bucks a bag for a three hundred ten gram bag. Oh my gosh! So, yeah, they they think it's pretty special. This one is, uh, but you know, there's little little bits of pomegranate and mm-hmm. gold dust. Yeah, yeah, it's mixed with gold dust. So, all right. Well, uh, as we get into the next step in the journey, which is getting those green coffee beans into a roaster and getting them ready to be ground and brewed and consumed, really the the biggest things to consider or that kind of the, there's a lot of variables like like we've been talking about through the whole series. I feel like there are a lot of variables that have to be just right to have a really good cup of coffee. Um, and like we said, this is the part of the journey that we have our hands on the most. And so we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about what variables we're looking at and talk through some of the history of coffee roasting and, um, yeah, just kind of a little bit of the nuts and bolts and all of it. Um, but I was thinking about it as I was getting the show notes ready and even though I promised you that it would be brief show notes, I... 
I have more pages than I intended in the show notes, so buckle up. I know what to expect when you promise things. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty hollow. Like, well, maybe I'll just bank on the opposite and see what happens. But really, like, for us, it's a, a real privilege to get to come into this process of, you know, as a roaster and bringing coffee uh, to market that's roasted. Uh, you think about the whole cultivation process and all of the hands that were involved in, in producing a really good cup of coffee. And we've talked about Francisco, we've talked about Walter and Jim's coffee and uh, all that we've now learned that goes into that. And then, you know, really, this is a, all of those things could be right. And then you put it in the hands of a roaster and they're not paying attention and they could mess it up. Yeah, real fast. things could go, could go right. So quickly. Um, that's always kind of all the way up until your first sip. I feel like there are, there are elements of the entire process from cultivation to, to cup that one variable messed up can negatively affect the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting, when you kind of break it down like that, it's an interesting way to think about just your morning cup of coffee. And I know like a lot of people don't think about well, it that way. No. And like, as I'm sitting, like now, I'm thinking about it now because you just mentioned it, but 30 seconds ago, whenever I was drinking my coffee, I wasn't thinking about the people that were growing it, mm-hmm. roasting it, processing it. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't, but you know, like we were talking about, <clears throat> I think it was the first cultivation episode we were talking about how much land it takes to mm. grow the the coffee plant um, and like how much, like I'm essentially drinking, I don't know. How many hectares? Two two dozen plants a right. year right? Uh, worth of coffee. Maybe maybe more. Yeah, we have to go back. I can't remember the stats on. Uh, it's, if I remember how right. How many beans one, one tree can it, produce? It's. One tree can produce one cup of coffee per day for 28 days. Okay. So you're essentially drinking one plant per month if you have one cup of coffee a day. Right. But generally I have two, maybe three. Mm -hmm. So like I'm drinking... That's 36 plants. I'm drinking upwards of, you know, two or three dozen plants a year. Mm -hmm. So... It's a lot of coffee. But like, I mean, you start thinking about that and you start thinking about how much land it takes right. to, I mean, it's what, 1.4 square feet? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Per cup? Per tree, right? Mm, oh, per cup? Per cup. Oh, wow. So, that's yeah. That's the land that's got to be. So, I mean, it's just like you start thinking about it in, like, coffee. Yes, it's the second, like, second largest or second most traded commodity in the world, but like it's not infinite. Mm-mm. It's it's finite. It's, right. And well, like all commodities are technically well, yeah, finite. So, but yeah, um, in season to season. But you don't. Th- I'm, but you don't think about that, right? I mean, when you're pumping gas, you don't think about well, one day it's going to be gone. There's only X amount of mm-hmm. gallons left. Somewhere, yeah. So, yeah, just to think about all of the different points of, and that's you know all about multiplication and you know what it takes to bring it, and then the people like that's the more, most important part for me is that the faces behind, yeah, the, you know, 
the the farmers, the harvesters, the processors, the roasters, all of those different things. Um, really kind of brings it, I think, more to life. And I think that's why it's meaningful to me to get to be a part of that whole process as a roaster. So elements of coffee roasting, pretty simple when you break it down to, you know, the, the basic nuts and bolts. It's just heat and motion are really the two elements that go into roasting. You want a heat source that's going to be greater than 500 degrees Fahrenheit, and you want to be able to keep the beans in constant motion somehow to prevent scorching. So the longer they sit in contact with heat, they you know, can scorch in, burn, in certain yeah. places and burn. And, um, and that's one of the things we look for when we're roasting, too, is did, was there a hot spot? We kind of do a site check and, and look at all the beans that are coming out of the hopper and, and making sure everything is good and consistent and uniform across the board as we're roasting. Um, heat sources vary. And when we get down and talk about the two kind of main types of modern commercial roasters, we'll kind of talk about uh, electric heat versus gas-fired or fire-driven heat. Um, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, and then same thing, too, the different variations of, of motion that keep the beans from, from scorching. Um, you mean liquid bed and drum? Yeah, we're going to talk about liquid bed and drum. Too. Pretty much, like when you get down to like commercial, but... Uh, like commercial size roasting. But before we get to that, there are a myriad of ways that you can do this at home. And really kind of the same thing. You just, you need a heat source and a way to keep the beans moving. And the at-home methods, um, there are like coffee roasters that you can get for your house now that are basically like mini fluid bed roasters that plug in mm. at 110 and they're going to blow hot air through the beans and do uh i would say probably about 100 grams at a time uh roasting it. and that's kind of how i got into it was i had that's kind of cool a fresh roast 500 uh, i have so many kitchen appliances though if i brought one of those home amanda would pick another one to get rid of you should probably ask me to just go ahead and move out you're running out of counter space at this point oh yeah it's so, been gone yeah so um, that's kind of like the highest level of like home roasting is like a miniature fluid bed roaster. It works kind of on the same principles that our fluid bed roaster works for Cisterna. If you want to go a little bit low tech from that and have, and the nice thing was, I, like I said, I got into roasting that way and, um, you could, you could set the heat and the amount of air that it blew through, um, so you kind of had a little bit more variable control that way. Uh, to go a little bit more lo-fi than that, you can roast coffee in an old popcorn popper, like the the old school Jiffy ones. You well, just move it around? Well, that's like stovetop, but I'm talking about the electric um, coffee po or popcorn poppers that you put popcorn kernels in and you turn it on and then it, it blows hot air through and basically then as the popcorn pops, it blows out the little yellow gotcha. funnel at the top. Yep, 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 yep. Um, I think they're called like Jiffy Pops or Jiffy Poppers. And I've known a lot of people that got started roasting coffee just using those as, which then you have no variable control. You're just kind of watching and you kind of have to tilt it so that the coffee beans don't jump out. And then once you hear first crack, 
uh, or yeah. second crack, and then you just kind of dump it. Yeah. And we'll talk about what first crack and second crack is in a minute when we kind of get to some of the the terminology behind roasting. But um, so you really have little control, but it, it's a good way to get coffee roasted at home if you don't want to make a huge investment or or and just this is a wild thought you could just buy your coffee pre-roasted you could <laughs> you very well could. and and we could point you in the direction of a really good place to buy coffee pre-roasted uh, <laughs> if you wanted to go to cisternacoffeeco.com and purchase some you could that's you can cool. also that's pretty funny. yeah you can also roast coffee just on the stovetop um just in a pan and just kind of like a saute motion keeping it keeping the beans moving uh you don't want to get too too full you want to kind of just want one or two layers of beans in a pan and just kind of slowly rotate them and and shake i don't imagine pan. that would make consistent coffee though it's not super consistent then another way to do it on the stovetop is they make a stovetop coffee roaster which is kind of reminiscent to the early um, historical roasters and so they're kind of like a ceramic um, it reminds me of something you would see in the southwest like a ceramic um, kind of squashed pot with an open top and a leather handled spout kind of thing mm-hmm. and so it, it, it looks like a gold pan and it's designed to kind of mm-hmm. gently let the beans rotate through and there again very little control you're just listening for um, that first crack you can also do it in the oven and I've done that too or a rotisserie um, how do you do it in the oven while keeping it in motion well that's where it gets tricky so you just set your oven at 450 500 and then time it so every couple of minutes you get it shake the pan put it back in that's the most labor-intensive at-home method um, or you could set the oven, I guess, to like 415 and just know when, when it would be done on a timer and just slowly bring them up to that temp. Um, because really, you know, when you talk about roasting coffee, what we're, the science behind it, and we'll, we could probably do a whole, I kept it pretty, um, pretty high altitude for finishing up our Farm to Cup series, but we could really get into a super detailed version of roasting down the road and talking about the, the science behind it. and But really what it is is the roaster is drying the coffee bean, driving off moisture, and there's a Maillard process, a caramelization of the coffee bean, developing flavor. And you could do a whole really, really specific, and we could talk about it for an hour and a half, of like the science of roasting coffee, but really... For the sake of wrapping up our, our cultivation to cup or farm to cup series, I wanted to kind of just hit some high points um, about it. But, you know, the caramelization, the Maillard process, the development of the flavor profile and, and components, all of that is happening during the roasting. And so really good coffee roasters are are watching certain parameters to, to get that right. And you just don't have all of that kind of capability if you're doing it at home. It doesn't mean you can't roast good coffee if you're sourcing really good green beans. And there are some really cool, you know, at-home roasting companies that sell green beans if you want to get started into that. Um, and so, um, yeah. You got a little, like, countertop. 
The one it's that I'm roaster, right? Yeah, the one that we it's at the roasting where we roast our coffee now. It's kind of like a test roaster, uh, and there's not a ton of control, but I can set. It's a like a countertop rotisserie, and never, I have a, I've never used it. Yeah, and I have a a, a a rotisserie basket that fits it that holds coffee beans, and so you know I set set the temperature for where I kind of want our roast profile to kind of be and then let it go and time it. And you, I think you could do the same way roasting it in the oven, but um, there's no way to kind of check minute by minute what the temperature is and, and get delta curves and that kind of stuff, which we'll talk about in, in just a few minutes. But um, history of roasting coffee. The first... That's where we're going to now. That's where we're going now. Okay. Um, first recorded implements for roasting coffee uh, were from the 15th century in the Ottoman Empire. So, interestingly enough... That's interesting. Um, kind of the first, I guess, quasi-commercial coffee roasters uh, getting away from household, but kind of more production style, was in modern-day Turkey of all places. So kind of comes full circle to your first best and worst coffee experience with Turkish coffee recently. That is interesting. That it's where where it, it goes back to. But, you know, the birthplace of coffee is Ethiopia. So, so I mean, that's that's kind of what I, I was surprised to hear you say. Ottoman Empire? Yeah. Yeah. That's because uh, I, I figured it would definitely be Africa. And like the the... the Origins of roasted coffee are coming out of North Africa, but when I say like recorded implements, like they were, they found like these were specific coffee roasting pans. They kind of had perforated bottoms. They were either porcelain or metal to put over low fires, probably like the the fire that the you know the sand vats mm. that the yeah. coffee's made off of, which so, are. That's not a liquid bed sand, is it? Because I, no. I don't think they're I don't think they're putting compressed air through that. No, no. I mean, they just are shoving the the, cof- the yeah, copper yeah. like <clears throat> coffee making things. Um, so Ethiopian coffee, you can still find it made like this in Ethiopia now, where it is all roasted on an open like flame, open fire, mm-hmm. um, and kind of in, in shallow pans again. Um, and you can still, like I said, you can still get that s- style as a, of Ethiopian coffee, which I would imagine is pretty burnt and dark roasted. We should get some and try it. Well, yeah. I've had a really, really, really dark roast from Haiti that was just like black mud. But it was just, it was like fire roasted coffee. So it was interesting. Really smoky. Um, you know, I was thinking earlier, I wonder, like when you were talking about putting it in the oven, mm-hmm. I wonder what it would be like to put it in a, like a cabinet smoker. Yeah. Like a smoked coffee. Mm-hmm. Well, we could try that. I mean, I have kind of wondered what, like a cherry wood smoked coffee would, what that would come out being like. Some, I think I've got apple wood. I don't mm-hmm. think I have cherry wood. So. Maybe something to try. It's worth trying and at least... If anything, a small batch, like, well, let's not do that again. But it was interesting. It might turn out absolutely terrible. It might. But it'd be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So you kind of progress through history. The first kind of commercial coffee roasters that were hitting the market were coming around in uh, mid-1800s. Um, and there's a quote from someone in the 1850s who said, uh, selling roasted coffee was an uphill battle as everyone roasted coffee in their kitchen ovens. So prior to about 1850s, you know, that was kind of the normal thing. So To roast it at home. Yeah, I guess everybody would you go to your... Uh, dry goods store, general store, whatever on the frontier, and buy green coffee, and just. Well, you also slaughtered your own chickens. You also mm-hmm. grew your own vegetables. Everything was more homestead. Yeah, but yeah, so that was kind of the standard. Was uh, everybody just knew how to do it at home and, and had either a pan or a way to do it in the oven? And um, that's interesting. And so when they were kind of starting to do it commercially that was the like this is the really hard thing to get people to do and now i thought about it as i was doing some research about this episode and i'm like how how you know foreign it would be to for people now particularly like in in the states to reverse that and go back to well everybody just buys green coffee and roasts it at home you know because we've gotten so used to just go to the store and pick out whatever flavor I want and you can go there's an entire aisle in a grocery store dedicated to coffee different kinds and and everything so we've come a long way from that beginning and now we're yep around in the corner to come back full circle possibly um so from from that the original kind of concept of commercial coffee roaster was the drum roaster. Um, and really, the the basic form of that, lo-fi version, hasn't really changed that much. Basically like a, uh, a dryer drum, like you would dry your clothes in. But a dryer drum, you put coffee beans in, that as it rotated, it kept the beans in motion, and the beans had contact with the surface of the drum as they rotated around and the bottom of the drum would be heated by fire and that was kind of the first commercial roasters were drum roasters and then i think some of the earliest fluid bed roasters were starting to come out mid 1960s to mid 1970s and when they first came out they were not really favored as a a style of roasting coffee Wonder why? i just think that it took a while for technology to cap- catch up you know, I mean, we're 60 years down the road from that of development. You know, we've got a really good fluid bed roaster that we've roasted all of the coffee on for Cisterna. And um, we'll just, I guess, jump right into what the differences are between the two. But like I said, drum roaster, usually direct fire. Um, <coughs> beans are in contact with a hot drum the whole time. Um, and then kind of the other side of that, a fluid bed roaster is... A, a more like cylindrical, conical uh, roasting apparatus that hot air is forced through. And so it's the, the hot air that's keeping the beans in motion and kind of rippling and, and doing their thing as you're blowing superheated air through them. It's like, um, have you ever seen like the, a sandbox where they're putting compressed air through mm-hmm. the sand? Mm-hmm. And it like liquefies the sand. It mm-hmm. looks 
you know, like it's malleable and mm-hmm. and then when they cut the compressed air off, it just goes back to being sand. Right. Um, that's kind of the same concept for those listening. Right. Because it's, it's hard to kind of... It is really kind of hard to describe what it what it looks like uh, without seeing it in person. Um, and the first ones, I think the first fluid bed roasters just, like I said, needed 60 years of technology to catch up to uh, being able to maintain constant temperature and, you know, the force of the air and all of those kind of things. Um, generally, like as you're, you're roasting on the level that we are, for cisterna, you want to keep things really, really consistent. Mm-hmm. And so you want to keep checking temperatures of the coffee bean about every minute so that you're aware of where things are and you can kind of time out what the roast is going to look like. The difference between fluid bed and drum roasters in that sense is that drum roasters can have multiple temperature probes and, and sensors within them. Um, we're talking like Probot or Diedrich or one of the other really nice ones that are out there usually have like three different temp probes within. And then the um, uh, program, the computer program that's reading all of that kind of gives you an aggregate. So you're watching a computer screen that is showing what the ropes profile is doing as it's going around. And a good roaster will also be pulling beans every minute watching the color Mm -hmm. because... One of the things that I found in, in doing the research for this is that um, there's kind of a, a lot of terminology, and we're talking, it makes sense, because we're talking about something that happens around the world, right? So the aggregate of terminology around roasting between American roasters and European roasters and roasters in Asia, like everybody's got their own terms for like this is the green stage and this is the tan stage and this is the, you know, whatever, or first crack, second crack, medium roast, light roast. So getting into the weeds of like, I'm going to roast stage by stage doesn't always work. I think the thing to do is just dial into what you can do consistently as a roaster like we do. And, you know, that's what you're going for. But the benefit of a drum roaster over a fluid bed is that drum roasters typically have more temp probes, so you get a better idea of what the the beans are doing inside the roaster in the hot box. Um, Some of the earliest ones were like truly fire-driven in that the drum was built over a fire box. And so you would build a, get a good fire going and then drop your beans and start the process. And then now the newer ones are all by natural gas or propane driven, but heating that drum consistently all the way across so that you get a really good even roast. Um, and then the, the counterpart to that would be the fluid bed, which really only has w- the ability to have one temp probe in it, kind of near the bottom like ours is of the, the bean bed. Mm-hmm. Do you have? Does it have? Would you consider... The air itself having a temp probe? Like, I guess you could have a... Well, you can see the... Like, ours is going to display the temperature of the air that's going through the bed of coffee beans is going to be significantly higher than the temperature of the beans themselves. 
Right. Um, and there's always like again to do and roast coffee really well. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of consistency to get dialed in to what you know you need to be doing for and and it's interesting because with we talked about variables at the beginning of this episode different varieties of coffee react differently to to heat as well you know and just in minute ways but um certain processes you know they they're going to absorb more heat before they react or uh, they might have slower green stages or tan stages and so that's kind of why when you get a new like when we get the coffee from Bolivia, mm-hmm. we'll spend some time doing some test roasting to get dialed into exactly what profile we want before we ever start selling it. Because you and I have to get a feel for what the beans are going to do in our roaster. And we could take the coffee that we currently have from Thailand and put it in a drum roaster. It's and, gonna act completely different. Yeah. And it's gonna reset the the clock on Well it's like the sample they out. sent. The sample they sent, what, back in April? Mm. Mm-hmm. That we roasted here. Right. Versus what we roasted when we were in Bolivia. Right. It's the same coffee. Right. But, like, they were completely and totally different. Well, and that was test roasting on a fluid bed. And on then, a drum. And yeah. then roasting on a drum as well. Um, there's more heat control with modern drum roasters that are gas fired because like I said they usually have three or four heat jets and so if you you think you're getting a hot spot you can turn one or more of those down and so you kind of raise and lower the temperature on the drum that way versus you know fluid bed and it's just kind of all hitting you've got one temperature control one heat probe that can you can kind of see and it's you know it's worth noting too that with any temperature probe really it's only coming into contact with about 80% of the temp probe is ever in contact with beans just by you know a brown bean rotating around um so it's not even 100% true mm-hmm. so everybody that you know all all roasters we like to say that we know exactly what we're doing but there's you know there's a little bit of variability in there that we don't always account right. for um fluid bed roasters typically are more small batch it would require a massive amount of electricity and heat and air power to move more than like ours is a four uh, kilogram uh, roaster i think that's about the max i can't imagine firing up a fluid bed roaster that did more than that like an 8 kg um, whereas like a drum roaster you can do 25 kilograms or more what was that probot at Alto Testada? I think it was a 12 the one that we saw um, which is kind of the next step up for us eventually down the road um, that's like 25 pounds at a time um, but they have ones now that can do hundreds of pounds at a time big commercial roasters so um so that's kind of the difference between the two. And we like our fluid bed roaster. It does really, really well for us. We're not going to talk in this episode, but there's a whole other side of all of this, which is roasting for blends. And there's two schools of thoughts. One is 
mix your beans green, roast them all together, or roast the two separate and then and then blend them. I've heard pros and cons from each. Um, and we are not in a place where we're starting to do blends, so we'll have to cross that bridge down the road. Um, but the most, I think the most consistent thing that I've heard about that as far as roasting for blends in favor of roasting them individually and, and blending them is like what we talked about. Each coffee bean has its own roast profile. You know, you get a new coffee like we get coming in from Bolivia, and there's... The first few times we go to the roaster, it's going to be like, all right, you tell me what you want, coffee bean. You tell me how you want to be roasted. Let's get this right. We're not running the show. Yeah. No. You, we're going to just do the best we can to get it how, how you want it. And so once we figure that out, then we can roast that coffee exactly how we want it, roast the tie if we're going to do a, a blend like that, and then blend them afterwards. Um, just talking a little bit more about variable control data and consistency again a lot of terminology a lot of the old terminology is talking about the r curve which is this sort of s curve um in roasting where it would like the temperature of the beans drops and then climbs again rapidly um well, i call it an r curve if you're just going to call it it's the sort ed, of an s curve. it's an s curve i don't know why the, it's the r curve it's it's a more dated um term within roasting the more important one of the two is the delta curve, and that's what we track and what I'm watching when we're roasting. And the delta curve is just the amount of change over time. So how, how many degrees Fahrenheit or centigrade the beans are gaining minute by minute, that's what I watch more than anything else, and that's how I gauge a really consistent roast. And like I told you, um, really getting dialed in now the last roast that I've done, it's like, man, we're doing, you know, boutique style batch roasting to order. And my Delta curve profiles are minute by minute within a few degrees. Uh, so that's not that I'm like the best in the world, but I'm pretty proud really of it. braggy. I'm not trying to be, I'm really, I mean, it's, you know, I've worked hard to get to, to that level. And, um, you know, that's what it takes is that kind of consistency to, to get a really good coffee. And well, too, like if you buy, if you buy a bag of coffee and then you buy the same bag a month later and it's drastically different. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. Yeah. We want consistency and, um, you know, like we said at the beginning of this episode, you think about all of the hands and all of the care that went into Mm -hmm. bringing it just as far as to our roaster, to roaster. right? Yep. So kind of I'm picking up the baton there, and I don't want to drop it. You know, you don't want to trip at that point. You don't want to trip right at the finish line. So, yep. you know, really trying to you are dial it the in. Roast, the roaster is the anchor mm -hmm. in the relay. Yes, the last lap. Until, you know, you can still mess it up if you make bad coffee, which we'll talk about next episode, but you're but right. That's, but that's less on the. That's re less on the production, on the production side. of coffee yeah. and more on the. So you're right. Um, we are the the anchor in the relay. Um, I just have a few terms to kind of go over. Shoot, sure. we're we're done. Um, 
So terms for roasted coffee, and most people are going to be familiar with light roast, medium roast, dark roast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those can have different meanings within, but then if you kind of mine down a little bit more within that, you may have heard of a cinnamon roast or a New England style roast or a blonde roast. Um, and those three are really um, a lighter roast. So light light roast could either be cinnamon, New England, or uh, blonde. And then medium roast is kind of probably the biggest part of the bell curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get, that's where you get city roast, full city, and then full city plus would be kind of edging into a darker roast. And that... City and full city is kind of really more looking at um, first crack and second crack, which we mentioned earlier. Basically, that's just a point when the coffee bean reaches kind of like it's almost like terminal velocity in the roasting process. It's a good think, way to put it. You think about it, right? So yeah. it's like it gets to that point, and then the bean cracks and gives out last little bit of uh, of CO two that's retained in it. And that's when that silver skin kind of comes off and is blown off as chaff. And that's, Have you ever recorded it? No, but I could have the last time because it was really, really significant. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like you're walking across a room full of those old, you know, snapping pops that you would buy at the gas station. Snapping pop. You know, they're little little paper things that you throw on the ground, and they. I got some of those for my ex-wife's son. Yeah, snapping pops, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever they're called, but that's what I call them. Poppets. Poppets. I think that's what yeah. they're called. Um, and but yeah, that's no, that's, that's exactly, exactly what, what it sounds, sounds like. like. Yeah. Um, and then you get into darker roast, and that's kind of close to. There's a second crack if you really push it to a darker roast. Um, and then some other terms for dark. Okay, so if first crack is. That last little bit of CO2. Mm-hmm. Like, second crack is like the bean saying, I am so done. Please take me out of this roaster. I wonder if there's a third crack. It would just, third you know, crack is just uh, it's ash. spontaneous combustion. At that point, yeah. Um, some other terms for dark roast are like a Vienna roast, French roast, or Italian roast. And if you're familiar with those as, as or you like darker roasted coffees, what you're going to notice is there is a more significant, a very, very significant sheen. The beans are going to be more oily and shiny. That's because in the roasting process from first crack to second crack, what's happening is the the caffeine um, oils are starting to volatize and be forced mm, out. I wondered about that. So a good way to think about it on like a... Um, a line is that the lighter the roast, the higher the caffeine because less of those, you know, caffeine phenols have been volatized. And then the darker the roast, the no, less caffeine. The less caffeine. Which we talked about before yeah. in an episode. Well, actually it might be in an episode upcoming. Upcoming episode that we've talked about before when we talk about espresso. But Europeans that are used to really dark roasted coffees can come to the States and drink the same amount of coffee they would at home and get a lot more caffeine jitters because the caffeine concentrate is a lot right. higher. Yeah, in a medium or light roast. Um, so, um, yeah, that's really, again, this is kind of a flyover view of, of roasting, and we, we will. I mean, 
You could have got a lot more specific. I really could have. But this is a, like roasting is, there are so many different possibilities. It's a endless mm-hmm. trail mm-hmm. to go down. And I think the biggest takeaway for me, you know, in this, apart from kind of the honor that we get to have to be a part of this whole process from farm to cup, you know, this is like our biggest step into it. And we really don't want to trip at the finish line as Mm -hmm. coffee roasters. And so it's an honor to get to be a part of it. Um, But second to that is that, that, again, a lot of consistency that goes into this and and there's still variables that can really affect the outcome along the line. Um, And I know as we were talking, getting ready for this episode, you're just thinking about that in the sense of like, you know, our walk as Christians and, and always seeking that consistency to be, you know, dialed into who the person of Christ is. And again, just like roasting coffee, it's easy to, to kind of get uh, off track, you know, um, in one way or the other. So it reminds me, as every time I go out to roast, it kind of reminds me of that. Um, just before you started saying that, I was thinking... You know, this is a lot like like the growers, uh, like the farmers, the exporters have got it to this point. Mm-hmm. Like, and now we've been told, go and make this coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a, I mean, the Great Commission is right. Go and make disciples. Right. I mean. We could stop right here. Yeah. Don't trip at the finish line. Yeah. Right? That's the that's a good takeaway. Yeah. That is good. And that's cool too. And and you know, Iris and I were having a conversation just the other night about some friends of ours and um you know, wanting to be more missional in in their day to day life and and worried about where where they fit in and um it's important to remember too, and everything that we're doing in ministry, businesses, ministry, and day to day, that it's not always up to us to carry the full story. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to show up and carry the gospel like we're called to whoever we we meet. But it's not always our responsibility to to actuate those decisions, right? So, I mean, even in Scripture, we we hear Paul talking about um, that one individual witnessed and another kind of watered and cultivated this young believer, and then someone else comes in and and gets to be the one that harvests the, you know, harvests the believer, but, like, gets to see the gospel come full into effect in someone's life. And so, you know, we don't ever see 100% where we fit into that, in anyone else's life, but again, like if we can remain consistent in our walk and trying to stay as close to the personhood of who Christ is, um, then I think we're we're doing okay. So I'm reading this book. Well, actually, I'm, I can't say that I'm reading it. It was on Audible, and I've listened to it like three or four times because it's it's really thought provoking. But there's a quote, and I'm looking. I'm looking for it now because we were talking. We were talking about a few quotes from the book earlier, 
And there's one I didn't I didn't say, but it fits really really well if I can find it. We'll just fill this space with I was about ready for a break. Oh, were you? Yeah. Well, hang on. Let's see if you can find it. If I would have known, I'd have had it ready. I can't find it. I'm sorry. It's all right. Okay. Well, you want to take a break? Yeah, let's do it. 